joined yet. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christchurch on this Remembrance Sunday. Um, Just a couple of notices. There are children's and young people's groups later in the service, and apparently they can't hear me, Mark. How's that?
Is that better? <laughs> I'll start again. So, welcome to Christchurch on this Remembrance Sunday. Um, just a couple of notices. We've got children's and young people's groups later in the service. Um, and Cheryl has got a couple of notices. Ah, Cheryl. Good morning. I have four notices, believe it or not. So I'm trying to remember, remember them all. First of all, um, there is a, um, a, the prayer room through that door at the back there is available for anybody that's got small children. And you, if you wanted a, um, a bit of time out, then um, that room will be available there for your use. A um, few social things. Um, we all need social things at times, don't we? Um, the big quiz night is coming up this Thursday, the 16th, 7 till 9, uh, a pound per person um, for, for tier fund. And we're um, just going to enjoy having a quiz together. So bring your brains. I will find mine somewhere. Um, there'll be tr uh, drinks and crisps available, um, so bring your friends as well. Please, uh, please come and support this event and have some fun together. And two more things um, to do with coffee in the living room. Um, this uh, Tuesday, I knew this would happen, Tuesday the 14th of November, um, at Coffee in the Living Room from half past ten onwards we're having like a tabletop sale a few people are selling cards and various other things so please come along and support that the, the, the money is going to what is it going to Carolyn? Lyndon Davis thank you yes um, and then the following Tuesday the 21st of November, Illuminate, the Christian bookshop, are going to be bringing their cards along um, and advent calendars and a few other bits and pieces, I think. Um, so if you need any of those sort of items, come along and support um, them as well. Thank you very much. Thank you, Cheryl. Um, my experience of Christchurch quizzes is that people play to win. <laughs> but don't let that stop you coming. <laughs> so we're going to start our service with um, a couple of hymns. Um, the first one, Before the Throne of God Above. And then Sue's going to lead into, May the God of Hope fill you with all peace. And if anyone would like to come and collect a flag or two to wave, that would be lovely. Um, so thank you. Would you like to stand if you're able?
pray for our children and young people as they go out to their groups. So Lord, we pray for our children and our young people as they go out to their different groups. Lord, be with them. May your spirit stir within them. Give their leaders your words to say. And Lord, bless them. Amen. If anyone's unsure where to go, then I'm sure one of the stewards at the back will show you the way. Let's say the words of confession together. God of peace, forgive us when we have participated in that which turns people against each other, for fueling anger and harboring vengeance, for not heeding your call to love one another. Inspire us never to give up on the hope that your life offers us and the courage to see past war and desolation and live for the day when it will be peace. May the God of love and power forgive us and free us from our sins, heal and strengthen us by his Spirit, and raise us to new life in Christ our Lord. Amen. Before John uh, comes to preach, we're going to sing another song. Um, The King of Love, My Shepherd Is. So if you'd like to stand, if you're able, and Sue will lead us.
seated. And I think Joyce is going to bring us our readings, and John will then come and share the word he's prepared. Our first reading is from Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 to 6. It's on page 77 of the Church Bibles. You may not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Our second reading is from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 10, and that is page 1176 in the Church Bibles. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everybody. Can you all hear me? Welcome to you all. Um, Can I start with yet another notice? (laughs) This must make about seven, I think. Never mind. Is this a record? Community choir rehearsals start this afternoon. Three o'clock here in church. As I said last week, anybody who can sing well enough that if you're singing, oh, come on, you faithful, we know it's not silent night, is welcome to come. Don't worry if you can't make all the rehearsals. Very few people can. And that doesn't mean to say you're... um, you know, we, we don't want you. I'm going to miss one rehearsal because um, I'm off hearing kid, uh, our children's concerts. So uh, please do come along. Three o'clock till five o'clock here in church. And then again every week until the carol service.
which is the Sunday before Christmas Eve, the 17th of uh, December. Okay, look forward to seeing anybody who wants to come. Right, for those of you who might be visitors here, we've been working our way backwards through the Ten Commandments. We started at number 10, we've now got to number 2. And you think, what, uh, idols? What's that got to do with us nowadays? We don't make graven images, we don't set them up anywhere. That was back in the Reformation, wasn't it? You know, when, when um, everybody started looking, going through churches and smashing all the idols. Oh, sorry, I'm about smashing all the statues, I do beg your pardon. Um, and thinking, you, you know, th these are sinful and whatnot. I'm not sure necessarily that they were. But this, this I think, can uh, illustrate the danger of just taking a law and applying it ruthlessly without, without understanding the principles behind it. And what we're going to try and do with this, with this um, commandment about um, idolatry is to uh, try and dig deeper. And we're going to find, this is the exciting bit, we're going to discover the real heart of God and of our Lord Jesus for us as sinners. More about that in a moment. First of all, let's have a word of prayer. We'd say to you, Lord, come, Lord Jesus. As the scripture says, open our eyes to see wonders out of our law, out of your law. But Lord, come and minister your love and your presence to each one of us. We acknowledge you as Lord in this building now. And we ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes and our ears to hear what you have to say to us. Take what I've prepared. Take away anything that's not of you. But Lord, I want you to be glorified today in our midst. Amen. So, the second commandment. You shall make a graven image. And it's not that bit that's the important bit. You shall not make a graven image and you shall not bow down and worship it. That is the important bit. Now I want to spend a moment or two, in fact knowing me it'll probably turn out to be more than a moment or two because I shall get really excited about this and probably a bit carried away. If I overrun us, I'm just going to throw something at me. <laughs> what does the Old Testament have to say about idolatry? We could start with a slightly ridiculous article. I think most of you are here, uh, here are old, um, old enough like I am to remember Monty Python and the Dead Parrot sketch. Yep? Anybody not? Yeah, I've got a thumbs up from Phil over there, that's good. Um, if anybody isn't sure what I'm talking about, um, go, go and look it up on YouTube. It's one of the Monty Python classics. But you remember the Dead Parrot, uh, you know, the, uh, John Cleese takes his, dead, takes his parrot, there it is on its perch, and he says it's dead. And you can, you can, I'm not going to repeat it or try and imitate his voice this morning, but um, you know, you know, the, uh, and the shopkeeper, I think, is Michael Palin, uh, looks at him and says, "Oh, the Norwegian blue, beautiful plumage, isn't it?" And and John Cleese says it. You know, he, he's got that whole spiel, and at one point he says, "If you hadn't nailed it to the perch, it'd be climbing up the, the choir invisible." And it's the same sort of degree of ridicule that God pours on our idols. There's a wonderful bit in, uh, in Jeremiah 10 when again he talks about taking wood and overlaying it with floor and overlaying it with precious metals and whatnot. He does, then he says, you've got to nail it to the floor to stop it falling over. 
How can that save you? How can that be of any use to you? But then he goes on, but then the old scriptures go on to point out that if you do turn away from God and start working, work, uh, worshipping these things, then all sorts of other much, much more unpleasant things start piggybacking on top of it. And we read about the despicable, the hateful, the vile practices, as the Old Testament calls them, or the sexual perversions done in the name of these gods, temple prostitution, child sacrifice, and again, all the social injustices that go with it, the oppression of the poor, the feathering your own nest at the expense of others, all these things, and these are not, you know, these things we see around us now, about, and now uh, nowadays. But these are the things that, when the um, when the Israelites started getting stuck into these things, God really started getting angry. Why? And this is where we come to the heart of the whole thing. Time after time after time, in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, and all the minor prophets, of whom Hosea is probably the, um, the, uh, the most um, obvious example, God accuses the Israelites when they slip into um, idolatry of a crime as bad as adultery. He talks about going or turning away from me, and he even calls himself their husband, and prostituting themselves with idols. He talks about a father-son relationship. This is the Old, Old Testament, remember. He talks about Ephraim, and in the prophets, Ephraim is often just, just another way of saying Israel. He says, Ephraim, my son, my firstborn son, my dear son, we'll come back to that one in a moment. Can you not begin to get an idea of the heartbreak of God when his people turn away from him? This commandment tells us that God is a jealous God, and we usually think of jealous now as being a, um, a rather negative co um, co uh, concept. And we say, do not envy, you know, etc., etc. And that's absolutely right. But when, the, when, when God can, calls himself a jealous God, it means he is earnestly yearning for his people. In this context, it was the Jewish, the Israelite nation. As we look at it today, of course, it's us, his church, his, his redeemed people. In this passage, we hear, I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the sins of those who hate me to the third and fourth generation, but maintaining love to thousands, sometimes implied thousands of generations, who love me. That sounds like a bit, we're starting off on a bit of a negative foot. If you spool on in, the, in Exodus for a few um, chapters, you come to chapter 34, and Moses is back up, the mount, up Mount Sinai waiting for God to give him the Ten Commandments again, because he broke the first lot. Uh, we don't need to go into the reasons why, but it was idolatry on the part of Israel again. And Moses, you may remember, says, show me your glory. And God says, well, I will do this. You can't see my face, but I'll put you in a cross... Um, a, um, a crack in the rock here and I'll cover it with my hands until I've gone past 
and then you can have a look at my back. And so he does that, but he, go, uh, he goes, the Lord walks past, and as he does so, he proclaims his name. This is going back to last week, isn't it? The Lord, the Lord. Now, whenever it says, the Old Testament says the Lord, and it's usually the Lord written in small block capitals, that is because not only, as J. John said last week, was the, holy, was the name of the Lord so holy that to write it, you would throw the quill away afterwards. In much of Jewish culture, in the, in the, name, of, the name of the Lord, Yahweh, was so holy that they could, would not even say it. And so again, I, um, Hebrew scholars among you may well have to correct me here. We get the word Adonai again, which means the Lord. And that is the word that is always put in... Uh, in the, in the Old Testament instead. And so when God passes past, uh, across Moses, he is actually proclaiming his own name. The Lord, the Lord. The compassionate and great God. And this time, he says, showing love to thousands, to thousands of those who love me. Forgiving sins, forgiving wickednesses, etc., etc. But nonetheless, not hesitating to punish the guilty to the third and fourth generations. Now, I'm not going to go into the third and fourth generations, that, that bit. But what's the difference? I often find myself asking, and I've, I've yet to find a decent answer in, in commentaries. And yet, uh, so I'm going to give you my, my own take on this, and uh, please feel free to take this up with me afterwards. But I think it, come, I think it brings us to the heart of the matter, and to the heart of our response to the love of God to us. Forgiving wickednesses and evils and whatnot of those who love me. For those who actually, yes, look to me and say, yes, Lord, I want to be for you. And if he's saying that, it means when you sin, I am going to forgive. We'll look into that, we'll, we'll dig into that a bit more in a moment. But there are those who hate God. And in the final analysis, None of us know who those are, only God does. He knows the heart. But for us, who are his people, we are his chosen people, the church nowadays, as well as Israel. And I'm not going to get stuck into politics here. God's very nature is to forgive. That is, dis that is his, if, you'd like to if you want to talk to computers, that is his default response, to forgive, to love. And only when he is really pushed, as the Israelites did push him, does he get angry. But even in that anger, we see God's love. Now let's have a look at a couple of examples here. And I'm taking these, uh, these are scripture, but I'm taking these for a book here called, by Dane Ortland called Gentle and Lowly, and it's subtitled The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. Um, he says this, uh, well, he's got a whole book to do it for one thing. He says this a lot better than I'm going to, but nonetheless, I just wanted to distill a couple of things out of what he says. And Jesus, and sorry, and God says, and this is Hosea chapter 11, my people are bent on turning away from me. And he goes on to talk about punishment and whatnot. But then he suddenly turns around and, and says, 
How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not burn, ex ex sorry, execute my burning anger, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. I will not come in wrath, he says. And again, is Ephraim my dear son? This is from Jeremiah now. Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. And he remembers, this, by God, this God means, he, I remember my promises. I remember that he, they are my beloved, beloved people. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. And the word for yearning there is not just, I'm not going to go into the, uh, the, the details of it, but it's not just a, oh yes, I'd love to do this, I'd love to do that. It's a deep, gut-wrenching, gut-wrenching desire for his people. And this is the love of God, the burning love of God. There's one other Old Testament scripture I just want to touch on very briefly, and it's not in that book, so I'm happy. Excuse me a moment while I get my mobile to behave myself, behave itself. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you, says the prophet Isaiah. And again, he's been, he, he's been going on about, uh, about Israel running, running away and, going see, and looking for help from other nations, Egypt in this case, when they're, uh, when they're threatened. And he says, you know, well, if you do that, you're going um, to pay the price. And yet he says, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. And justice to God's eye, in God's eyes means something rather different than what we mean. It means compassion. It means forgiveness. Remember we say that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. So the Lord longs to be gracious to us. The Lord yearns, he aches to be gracious to us. What do we see in the New Testament? And very, very briefly, we see Jesus. And I'm going to tell the story backwards. We see him in heaven. Praying for us at the Father's throne. When we sin... And we all do. I do. You do. There is Jesus praying for us at the Father's throne. Almost running to the Father's throne to pray for us. John says, I'm writing to the, uh, this to you, my children, so that you will not sin. But if we do sin, we have one who pleads our cause before the Father's throne. Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice for all of our sins. We're told as well that we can come to God, to come to Jesus freely. Because in Jesus, we do not have a high priest, as the writer to Hebrews tells us, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who knows all about it, who's been tempted in every way that we are tempted. Now think of some of the worst temptations you've had. I'm not 
Jesus has had those same temptations, and yet without sin. He knows. He understands. He is the God who comes and forgives all sorts of things for those who love him. And therefore, our response to laws, to the mercy of God and whatnot, is to come and receive forgiveness from him. We do not need to feel guilt because Jesus took the guilt on the cross. We need to repent. We need to get serious about sin, yes. But we do not need to feel, feel guilt. Jesus, when he was asked to summarize the law, said, well, there are two, basically, there are two laws that's, uh, on which all the rest of the laws hang. And you know what they are. In the second, and again, I'm telling the story the wrong way around, aren't I? Is you shall love your uh, neighbor as yourself. But the first is the Lord your God is one and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength and so on and so on. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And we do it because we love, not because we're afraid of being condemned, or not because we're afraid of having the, the heavenly finger pointing and saying, you've done it again. If you go through the whole, test, the whole of the New Testament, you'll see this time and time again. You know, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God aches and yearns so much that he sent his son to be a sacrifice for us. The cross, and we have to, have look, um, we have to face up to the cross. The cross, in some ways, was an act of desperation. God loved us so much that he went to the uttermost. You know, he thought, I'm desperate for these people so much, for you, for me, that I'm going to go and die for their sins in their place. That is how much God loves us. Paul tell, the Apostle Paul tells us that God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be our sin. God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be my sin. God had Jesus, who knew no sin, to be your sin. And that when he died... Your sin died with him. And therefore, we can rise to newness of life. And that is something that is open to every single one of us. No, I'm running on a bit. Where does this leave us? When we start thinking about idolatry in our lives. This is where we have a brief, very brief look at that reading from Ephesians 5. If God loves us so much, we are required to live a life of love. But he says there must not even be a hint of what? Sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. Because these are idolatry. We spoke earlier about the association with that sort of thing, with idols in the, in the Old Testament. These things can become idols 
as well. Greed, <laughs> I thought greed was just ordinary material greed, um, but having read a couple of commentaries about this as I was preparing for this, God, you know, there are a couple of um, folks, there's certainly a school of thought which says the greed here is actually sexual greed, sexual covetousness. And these are idolatry. And it is very easy to make an idol of these things. The, 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 amount of, you know, the amount of time sex or anything like this is pushed in the media, you know, in young people's lives. You know, we don't have to look very far to see that this is still an, it's still an issue. What else can be idols in our lives? I mean, in the end, you know, in the final definition, in the final analysis, um, and I'm quoting here Alec Batir in the New Bible Dictionary of um, 30 or 40 years ago, the idol is, is whatever claims that loyalty which belongs to God alone. The idol is whatever claims that loyalty which belongs to God alone. So, all the usual things, money, food, ambition, And Claire Woodyard said to me, as I was talking to her about this last week, and self. And that can crop up in all sorts of ways. I think any time that one wants my way instead of God's way, one's putting oneself and one's own will forward as an idol before, um, before God. Now that's, that's putting it very strongly, I know. But I can remember um, I had a pretty nasty cold the other week. And I, can, um, I have known the Lord's healing in my life several times. And I prayed and I prayed, and it didn't happen. And I got really angry about that with God, really discouraged. And I think God was saying, you're putting your own will above mine. Seek me first. There's a song I, I know... Um, that we sung uh, for Ralph Goldenberg's induction, which has these words, we do not seek your hand, we only seek your face. Again, it comes down to our prime motivation. Do we want what God wills? Do we want to know God? Do we want God to be our be-all and end-all? So remember, Jesus um, told a story once. He said, kingdom of heaven is a bit like a merchant. Who goes and sees a field, and in the middle of that field is buried a pearl of, of great price. And in his joy, remember that joy, he goes and sells all he has and goes and buys that field. That is how valuable Jesus is to each one of us. And how much it hurts him when we start running after other things. We need to be a little bit careful here, and then this is almost the last thing I'm going to say, you'll be glad to hear. We do need to be careful, because a lot of us hang on to things like this as a way of trying to um, calm down our own hurts from previous traumas or whatever. Healing can come, and I'm saying this not to condemn or anything, but to encourage, when we can start to let these things go. Whether we've actually made an idol of it or not, only God can show you. And we're going to have a, t a chance in a moment where we can do that. 
And it's important that we follow Jesus here, not automatically jump to conclusions, oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah um, that what we're doing is, uh, is idolatry, but we do need to follow the leading of Jesus here. We need to be merciful with ourselves as God is merciful to us. I'm going to stop there and I'm going to leave a short time if I may Ursula, just as we can have a couple of minutes just to respond to that and then we're going to sing a, uh, going to sing a hymn um, which, is a, a, which is a good old Welsh revival hymn again, oh the deep deep love of Jesus we're just going to come back to this just remember that as we're sorting out as, we're, we, as always when we come before the Lord he is wanting to forgive he is ready to forgive and he's there to give you the strength and the power to overcome. So let's just be quiet for a moment. And before we do anything else, let's just say, Lord Jesus, please come. You who became our sin, who bore our sin, who dealt with our sin, and gave us your righteousness. Come, Lord Jesus. Jesus says, come. And if for any of you, this is the first time you've heard him say, come, well, come. There is nothing that you've done that is so bad that Jesus will turn you away. Come. So we say to the Lord, come, move amongst us, Reveal what it is you want us to repent of, what you want us to lay at your feet. Whether it's money, our own reputation, food, sex, pornography, whatever it is, or whatever it is that the Lord is putting, putting his finger on, Let's have a moment's quiet. Now in your mind's eye, look up. Look up. If it helps you to look up at that cross on the wall behind me. But look up at Jesus. Dying for our sin. Taking it away from us. And he will do that to each one of us. You may find it helpful either now or later if the Lord has put his finger on something that's getting in the way. Just to say, Lord, in your name and by the power of your spirit, 
I renounce the idol of whatever. And thank him for giving you the strength to do so. Thank him that he has set you free. When the Son sets you free, you are free indeed, said Jesus. Amen. Thank you, John. I suggest we stay seated as we sing uh, the song that John has already mentioned as a response to his words. Thank you, Sue. together. When I say the words, Lord, in mercy, in your mercy, could you respond, hear our prayer? Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. On this Remembrance Sunday, 
Let us bring before God, the God of peace, our prayers for the world, the church, and all his people. Merciful God, we pray for peace in our hearts and homes, in our nations and our world, the peace which is your will, the peace which we need so badly. We remember today, O Lord, all those who have died in any kind of war throughout your world. Today, we remember especially those victims of the two world wars, including those close to us, or who were close to our parents and grandparents. We remember those who came home with terrible injuries, both physical and psychological, and those whose loved ones never returned. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Remembering the conflicts of the past and the sacrifices which were made, we pray for our world where war is still a grim reality. Lord, as we remember those who have lost their lives, help us to renew our fight against cruelty and injustice, against prejudice, tyranny and oppression. Lord, Hear our prayer for the multitudes in every country who do not want war and are ready to walk the path of peace. May their voices be heard and may they not lose heart. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord God, we pray for the leaders of the nations at this time asking you to pour out your spirit of reconciliation on them. Give them a longing to bring freedom from fear and a freedom from want for all their people. We pray also for the Christian church called to witness to your love in this generation. May those who profess one faith respect those who sincerely hold another faith and build a community where there is harmony and understanding. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Merciful God, we pray for all who face difficulties in their personal lives. Show us when we can help and give support to those around us. On this day of remembrance, our hearts and our prayers go out to all who mourn the loss of those whom we have loved. When we lose someone close, we feel that part of us dies as well, but part of them lives on in us, in our memories. Give us strength and understanding to honour and cherish that gift. Help all those who are bereaved to find the same consolation that in the knowledge of your love they may honour the past by looking to the future. Jesus Christ is the light of the world, a light which no darkness can quench. And we now remember before God all those who have died and thank you for the light of Christ, which eternally shines and brings hope. Lord, in your mercy, hear us. Finally, a prayer for ourselves. 
that we may all put our confidence in you, O Lord. You know we are often filled with fear and foreboding, but give us courage and deepen our trust. You are the rock which nothing can shatter. On you we can place the whole weight of our lives. And so, merciful Father, accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Would you like to stand if you're able and we'll say the creed together? This is a shortened version. We believe and declare that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is both divine and human. God of the being of the Father, the only Son from before time began, human from the beginning of the mother, born in the world, fully God and fully human, human in both mind and body. As God, he is equal to the Father. As human, he is less than the Father. And although he is both divine and human, he is not two beings, but one Christ. One, not by turning God into flesh, but by taking humanity into God. Truly one, not by mixing humanity with Godhead, but by being one person. For as mind and body form one human being, so the one Christ is both divine and human. The word became flesh and lived among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. And if you'd like to stay standing, John Sanderson is going to lead us in our act of remembrance. Remember them. We now observe the two minute silence.
Would you like to be seated? We're going to move on now towards communion. We are called to be a people of peace. And particularly today, when we think of peace that has been hard won, let's offer to one another a sign of God's peace. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Let's offer each other a sign of God's peace, uh, remembering that those who might prefer to stay socially distanced, um, please stay seated and then people will know. Thank you. And I'm going to use Eucharistic Prayer H. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to praise you, Father, Lord of all creation. In your love you made us for yourself. When we turned away, you did not reject us but came to meet us in your Son. You embraced us as your children and welcomed us to sit and eat with you. In Christ you shared our life 
that we might live in him and he in us. He opened his arms of love upon the cross and made for all the perfect sacrifice for sin. On the night he was betrayed at supper with his friends, he took bread, gave you thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given in remembrance of me. Father, we do this in remembrance of him. His body is the bread of life. And at the end of supper, taking the cup of wine, he gave you thanks and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we do this in remembrance of him. His blood is shed for all. As we proclaim his death and celebrate his rising in glory, send your Holy Spirit that this bread and this wine may be to us the body and blood of your dear Son. As we eat and drink these holy gifts, make us one in Christ. Amen. With your whole church throughout the world, we offer you this sacrifice of praise and lift our voice to join in the eternal song of heaven. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. As our Saviour taught us, so we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours forever and ever. Amen. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one body because we all share in one bread. Draw near with faith, receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he gave for you, and his blood which he shed for you. Eat and drink in remembrance that he died for you, and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Please come forward as the stewards direct. Um, if you prefer non-alcoholic, then come to this table, particularly if you've got children with you. And um, we will do our, what's become our usual practice of taking the bread and wine back to our seats so we can consume together. John is going to help me dispense the bread as we're quite high in numbers this morning.
The body of Christ keep you in eternal life. Amen. And the blood of Christ keep you in eternal life. Let's just spend a few moments praying for those who can't be with us this morning. And so, Father, we think of our church community and our families, of those who cannot join with us this morning. Lord, be with them, we pray. May they know the blessing of your peace and your presence with them. And may they too know the hope of eternal life. Amen. And we say together the prayer after communion. Almighty God, we thank you for feeding us with the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him we offer you our souls and bodies to be a living sacrifice. Send us out in the power of your Spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. We're going to join together in our final hymn, O God, our help in ages past. Would you like to stand if you're able?
our offerings forward, we bring them to you. And Lord, we recognise that all we have comes from you. And of your own do we give you. Now before we, would you like to be seated? Before we close our service, do any of the children or young people want to come and share what they've been up to this morning? Come on, Ian. Good morning. Should I use the other mic? Yeah. Sorry. Is that better? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I can't. Good morning, everyone. What we did in Children's Club was we wanted to look at why we remember Remembrance Sunday. So what we did was we got the children to pretend it was 1939 and they've all volunteered to join Allied Bomber Command. And they had to make a list of the crew using their seven friends. And then they were told afterwards that out of their seven friends, half of them wouldn't survive the war. And we asked them how they felt about that and they said it made them sad and depressed and this is one of the reasons why we remember today, for it's just remember the sacrifices those people made in order for us to enjoy uh, the freedoms we have today. And then we also reminded that if they had been children in 1939, there would have been a very good chance they would have grown up, some of them would have grown up without knowing their fathers, without knowing, sorry, pardon me, their grandparents as well. And that's why we remember this Sunday. made some lovely poppy plaques. Do you want to hold them up so everyone can see them? Isn't that lovely? Well done. (laughs) And to close our service, a blessing for Remembrance Sunday. God grant to the living grace. We trust you for rest for the departed. Grace to the church, to the king, to our nation, and all people. We pray for unity, priests, and concord. And to us and to all God's people, life everlasting. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, be with you all and remain with you always. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve our risen Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen.